away um, in some people's minds about what it means to be one of God's children. Some people think that be, by being one of God's children that they'll just sail through life without any problems, without any really major issues. Let me tell you that's, um, that's a lie. And the longer you are a believer, the longer you are a Christian, the more you discover that actually you can pour your heart out before God. You can pray with sincerity. You can play, pray with all the faith that you can muster and still the wheels come off. Anyone got that sort of life experience from being a believer? The rest of you are telling porkies. Or actually, if you're not telling porkies, you'll get, you'll get it there in the end. There's a lovely little passage tucked away in the book of Amos and it says this. It will be as though a man fled from a lion. That's a good idea. So if you meet a lion on the way home, good to flee. Only to meet a bear. I mean, he's having a bad day. And though he entered his house, so he escaped the lion and the bear and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Has that cheered you up this morning? Has that edified and blessed my congregation? But you know what? That can be life. That can really be our walk with Christ. That actually, the wheels come off, you think you're getting somewhere, the wheels come off, and it really comes off. Don't be surprised. That can happen, actually, when you've done nothing wrong. And you may as well just know that. And and the good news is, God's still in control. Disaster can strike. And, you know, Matt and Stephanie's testimony this morning is perfect proof of that. Sometimes you can cause this in your own walk. You can make some bad choices and the wheels can come off. And so when we go into the book of Samuel, not for the last time, there is one more after this, but today we discover David reaping the consequences of his own decisions. Up until now, most of the problems that have happened in David's life have been because of someone else's decisions and chasing him and hounding him and being disobedient to God. David is mainly innocent all the way through that. But it's the last 16 months that we've been looking at now. And if we put the the passage up from Samuel, please, Graham. The last 16 months, he's been out of the will of God. He's living in enemy territory, doing some dreadful things... And today, the wheels come off. And, and I, I did this the other day where, I don't think some of you grasped what I said last week about God judging morally. And Michelle and I have had conversations. And we, I, I feel we were visited again. That actually, if God judged us every day and we messed up and he, he immediately acted... That would bring us back into line. But it doesn't seem to do that. You can go for months, years, days, weeks or whatever. But understand this. There is a day coming when actually we do get, we do get a kick up the bum to bring us back up to God. He does that because he loves us. But in that time, he's working something out. And for David, David is about to learn a, a massive lesson. 
And listen, when I put this sermon together, my prayer is that you will learn his lesson and my lesson. And maybe you've got lessons yourself to learn or experiences. But watch what happens here. As a recap, David is really between a rock and a hard place. He was with the Philistines who were going to war against God's people. And I wonder what was going through his mind and his men's mind. Do we attack our own people or do we fight the Philistines? And there are thousands of them now lined up in battle. Do we, what do we do, God? Or maybe they haven't even asked God. And yet God steps in and comes up with a third option. And the third option was for the Philistines themselves to say to the king, look, we don't want the Hebrews amongst us. Send them home. Send them away that we can go to war against the nation of Israel. And I rather imagine, look, that as David left the Philistine camp, inside he's going, come on, got away with it again. Absolutely perfect. Now we know the places and the locations, so we know that the journey is about 60 miles back to the place that David has fled to, and that place is called Ziklag. Ziklag, we know, is a walled city. David had put his trust in bricks and stones and in the Philistines. He had stopped putting his trust in God. Sometimes we can do that. Sometimes we can think we can manage our own affairs and actually forget God. For David's life, there's been no contact with God in the scriptures for several chapters now. And that culminated a few weeks ago where David used these very words. He thought to himself, never ask God. He thought to himself, I know what I'll do. I'll take charge. I'll go over there. Saul won't find me. And he ends up at Ziklag. So now he's on his way back. The picture we had of Saul, just before we look at this, was that Saul ate a meal... It was dark, and he left the witch of Endor. Do you remember that? He left the witch. It's dark. And now we see David, and David's walking in the light. When we do communion, you can, if you're familiar with the passages, you'll remember Judas took the morsel of food that Jesus gave him. Jesus knows he's going to be betrayed by Judas. And he leaves that communion service and he goes out and it's dark outside. And the Bible is telling us something. God wants us to realise this stuff. But for David, we see him walking in the light. He's returning back. Leaving the morning as soon as it is light. Let's move it on. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines. Why, why David, are you going back there? What on earth are you doing there in the first place? Move it on. David and his men, so we're in chapter 29 now, we're going to go all the way through 29. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day, a 60 mile walk. And now the Amalekites had raided Negev and Ziklag and they'd attacked Ziklag and burned it down. I wonder what they thought as a group of men as they approached that city that town, and they saw the smoke rising out of the ashes. Were their hearts in their mouths? 
they would know what this was sim symbolizing, where they're going to walk into the city and find all their family destroyed. They'd been doing raiding, you know, for 16 months, and every time they raided anywhere, they killed everyone in that town, or that village, or whatever. Are they thinking now that that has happened to them? Well, let's find out. So they've been taken captive, the women and everyone else in it, both young and old, they killed none of them. And I think that's God. I think that's God's grace where he's put something in the heart of these Amalekites and they haven't killed anyone. Unlike what David and his men had been doing. But they carried them off as they went on their way. So they've left the scene now and the, there must be like an eerie silence in the place. What do you think David's going to do? Come on. Go after the Amalekites, that's what Matt would do. That's good news for you, Steph, if you ever get raided at Clown. He's coming for you. What's, what's his options? He could build himself up in God. Mm, someone might be reading ahead. Impressive. When David and his men lag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. All gone. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Has anyone been to that place? Yeah. Yes. I know some of your stories. I've been there. It's not a place that you want to go to. Let me just, let me just clarify this. There are some things in life, some experiences that you just don't want to go to. But you know what? And there's evidence in the room. Sometimes you're going there anyway. You don't look for this sort of stuff, by the way, in life. Let's have a look. David's two wives have been captured. Having two wives is not a good idea. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Do you remember Nabal's wife? She'd saved him from himself, basically, by reminding David. Don't kill Nabal. And David was going to wipe out the town, by the way. It wasn't just Nabal he was going to kill. He took all his men armed, and he was overreacting to what Nabal had done, and he was going to wipe them out. Can we move on? David was greatly distressed. It's just about to get a little bit worse, because the men were talking of stoning him. That can't be good. Stoning him is not a good idea. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Okay, let's just pause a moment. I'll tell you a story. Some of you have heard it before, but look, this is, this is a great example. When my marriage uh, failed, I remember on two occasions being on the floor, curled up like a little baby, crying from within. It wasn't crying tears. The pain was coming out from within my body, groaning, uh, almost inhuman, pleading, until I'd reached that point of exhaustion. And uh, prior to that day, I had prayed, I had fasted, I had done spiritual warfare, I'd done everything possible, and nothing had worked how I wanted it to work. While I'm on the floor, a word 
drops into my, my mind and it reminded me of a book that I'd read many years before by a, an author called Terry Law. He's an American evangelist and he wrote of a, in a book, I think it's called something like The Sacrifice of Praise or something. And he, t- he tells his story that while he's in London on God's business, his wife was suddenly killed in, an, in a car accident in America. And they wake him up during the early hours of the morning to tell him that his wife has been killed. And his mentor, when he gets back to the States, his mentor said to him, you need to praise God. And Terry Law quite openly and honestly says, that's the last thing I want to do is praise God. If there is this loving God, then how come that's happened? But he went back to his room, he respected his mentor, and he got on his knees and he praised God. And that passage from the book dropped into my heart that day, or into my head. I got up off the floor and I went, we were living on the farm, I I went, Kay would know the place, I went past house number two, up onto the hill. I didn't have the strength to climb the hill, but I got sort of 50, 60 yards up this hill and I fell on my knees and I worshipped God. Despite the fact that I felt absolutely wrecked. And do you know what happened? Let me tell you what happened. A car came down the driveway and my wife pulled up at the bottom of the hill. She got out the car, she raced up the hill, threw her arms around me and we lived happily ever after. No, that didn't happen. Shut your mouth, Ange, that didn't happen. Okay. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. Yet everything changed. Outside, nothing changed. In here, everything changed. Do you understand that? It's a lovely illustration. You see, what David is going to do, the men are bitter in spirit, and they have every right to be. They're looking at this man, and, and they must be thinking, look, David... 16 months ago, God was protecting us. 16 months ago, you know, Saul came into a cave. You went into the camp. You could have killed him, but you didn't. And you spoke about a God who actually protects his people, loves his people, cares for them, protects them, and is sovereign over all. And you forgot that, David. You took us to the Philistines. You put us in this village and said that the walls would protect us, and it didn't work. And sometimes you and I can forget God. You might not think that's true, but trust me, if he did it, and he will do it several times in the future, and I've done it, you'll do it. There is an antidote to not doing it. And I think this, look, at this point, they're bitter, they're exhausted, they're weeping, but David has discovered this. There is a Saul living in David. There is a Saul living in David. There is one living in you, by the way. Saul, who had pursued David and wanted his own way, forgot God, took it out of the equation. If you go back to chapter 15, you'll find that the passage says that Saul was disobedient to God, and from God's perspective, it's the sin of witchcraft. Every time we are disobedient to God, every time we are disobedient to this word, 
In God's eyes, we're committing witchcraft. Really? Really? Where was the last picture we saw from Saul? With a witch. Disobedience will take you to a place you can't even dream of going. But David sees his men and understands, do you know what I've done? I forgot God. I've begun to handle my own life. And that's the mess we make when we make a decision to handle our own affairs. There's not one person in this room, and I put myself right at the front of the queue, that is capable of handling your life. Some of you might think you can. Listen, I've got 61 years for a reference that tells me I cannot do it. The older I get, the more that confirms. He's tried it, messed up. So how do you find strength in the Lord? It's not by just by weeping. It's not by just doing that. It's not by crying out in prayers to God. Those things might be good, by the way. It's something else. Let's see, see the next scripture. This is how you find strength in God. And this is why we're going to do communion at the end. Then David said to Abitha the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. And Abitha brought it to him. The ephod, the priest in the Old Testament, the way of coming into God's presence. How many of you this week, honestly, have spent time in God's presence? And I don't just mean first thing in the morning. Let me clarify that. I mean on a regular basis, through the day, through your work time, through your family time, have you been taking up the access that you have with God? Not... I'm not asking for a show of hands. Do you know the point being is he hadn't been doing that. He's had it with him, look. The priest is there, the ephod is there. The history behind the ephod is incredible. Hundreds of years, this ephod had been the way that Israel had mediated and found God's perspective on something. Shall I do this? Shall I do this? Shall we do that? Yes, no, yes, no. God wants to direct your life. You don't need an ephod, by the way, and we'll see that at the last scripture. But how sad. How sad for him that he had it with him and did not use it. And how sad for believers that have God's access open to us when you don't use it. Or when you use it like a genie on a shelf. I know, I'm in difficulty I'll just get it down and give it my Bible a bit, bit of a rub. I'll blow the dust off it and then I'll pray a prayer and God will fix everything. He won't. He will not do it that way. This is all David's fault. But now, now he's about to talk to God. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? He, notice this, he does not know who they are. Could be any number of people. You're, you've got this story. He doesn't, he's in the story. Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Two questions, three answers. I call, I call that grace. 
Two questions to God, three answers from God. Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them. And look at this, David. Despite being a plonker for the last 16 months, despite messing up and doing your life your own way, you'll succeed. You can't take that passage, by the way, and put it in your life and, and then say, I'll always succeed. I really do not like these boxes of promises. Some of you have come across my, my tirade at these things where people claim things that you've got nothing to, reason to claim. That's babyish. Stick them in the bin. Do you know what you can claim? God's character. Unchangeable. Discover who God is, you'll find out who you are. If God has given you a personal word, a personal word, you can claim that. But just be careful about claiming everything that's in the Bible. That's for your extra free information, no charge. So here's David. He must have turned around to the guys and said, Let, let's not stone me. God's spoken, God's directing. Things will turn out. Let's move it on, please, Graham. So David and his 600 men with him came to Besor Valley, where some of them stayed behind. I would imagine they're shattered. Emotional wrecks, 60-mile hike, the emotion of whether they were going to fight against their own nation. It's been a really tough week. So some of them just can't go on. Two hundred of them were exhausted across the valley, but David and the other four hundred continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. <laughs> what is this? What is it? Thank you, Matt. If there is no Egyptian in a field, they don't know where to go. But God's in the case now. And so he's put somebody who does know the right way to go. How many times has God been at work in your lives and my life and you've just seen an Egyptian? You've just missed the point. I can stand here and have fun. Let me, let me have fun. Be, I'll be licensed to be, have fun with Providence. When we came to this church, we'd been offered a job at another church without blackbirds. Without a garden. We could have gone, you know. Kay said it was too posh. I don't know what she means, but it was too posh. So we refused that one. And through a whole series of events, we came to be at Killamarsh. And that series of events included Kay going to South Africa, meeting Aileen, a very dear friend. And Aileen worked for Grow in Ireland. There are some people in this room, just because Kay went on mission to South Africa, I met a lady who previously, years before, had worked with Grow in Ireland. There are some people sat in this very church who were here because of Grow. Is that a coincidence? Or is that God's providence in your life? It's no good looking around. I include everyone who comes to grow. 
What about when Aileen and Kay leafleted Killamarsh? Do you know, they, we put out something like 2,000 letters inviting people to come to church. Put your hand up if you were one of those people who came to church. Actually, you didn't come because of the leaflet. You did. But hear what I'm going to say. It was raining and Aileen and Kay were putting letters through Sheffield Road. And a few weeks earlier, we'd met a lady who lives at number 15, I think. We'd met her on a first aid course. And they wanted that letter to reach her house. So they decided, despite the rain, they would finish the walk. She never came. But you did. God's providence. From you coming, you're here. God's providence. You can't make this happen. But you know what? You can sail through life and you can say coincidence, coincidence, coincidence. Or you can see a God who is just putting things in your way to direct your life where he wants it to go. The longer and the more you practice this, the easier it is to see. They found a guy who knows where they need to go. So they fed him, pressed him figs and cakes and raisins, and he ate and he was revived, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. He was dying, obviously. David asked him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? And he said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, my master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. Alright? That's information. So you belong to someone and that's your history. But the next part is crucial. He tells them this. We raided the Negev of the, that Catherines, some territory belonging to Judah, and the Negev of Caleb. And listen this, David. I just happen to be one of those people who raided Ziklag. That's a lucky find for David, isn't it? All the countryside. Just a guy who was there and knew where to go. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? And he answered, swear to me before God, always a good idea, that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master. Both seem pretty bad. And I will take you down to them. We don't need to concentrate so much on this. He led David down and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. The Amalekite raiding party must have known that the Philistines were 60 miles south, the army was there, the countryside's wide open. They've been having a party time. You can look at this and you can see two things. The Amalekites are descendants of Esau. And Esau in the Bible is always to do with the flesh. He always wants something now. He'll sell God out at the drop of a hat. And as a preacher, teacher, let me tell you this. There are two camps, and only two camps. There aren't three, or four, or five. You can either belong to God and be in God's camp, or you can be in the Amalekite camp. You can live for now. You can live for the plunder, the revelry, the partying, the drinking, whatever. The instant gratification. 
or you can live for God. Now personally, as someone who's been doing this life for a while, I've tried the drinking, two pints and I was drunk. <laughs> Ouch! I've never been any good at revelling. If you saw me dance at Matt and Stephanie's wedding, you would give me a reference to that effect. And the rest of it just doesn't interest me. But nearly 30 years of doing life, some of it God's way. Do you know what? I can strongly recommend it. I can strongly recommend it. You're either an Amalekite or you belong to God. David fought them from dusk until evening of the next day and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on the camels and fled. So what's happening now? David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they'd taken. David brought everything back. It's nice to have a happy ending, isn't it? But is that, you know what? It doesn't always work that way. This same man will sometimes not have happy endings. So you can't claim that passage. You cannot say, I found strength in God, life will just cruise through. Absolutely not. It might do, it might not. But staying true to God is what actually works. He took all the flocks and the herds and his men drove them ahead of the ahead of the other livestock saying this is David's plunder this is all David's he's gone from being stoned to being more or less idol worshipped isn't he it's all David's life's rocking and rolling again then David came to the 200 men now who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Beza Valley they came out to meet David and the men with him and as David and his men approached, he asked them how they were. Greetings, salutations, had a good sleep. What do you think he's going to do? By your mean, aren't you? Share his plunder. Look, look see, this is why the guy's the guy on the front. Share his plunder. Not a meanie who lives in Shuttlewood. This is a clown person. Yeah, well, you're backwards now. You've gone down to Shuttlewood. Let's have a look. Oh, look. All the people from Shuttlewood, I mean evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them. And please hear this. The plunder we have recovered. We recovered it, David. We are the ones that did the fighting. They stayed behind. Sometimes we can do something and actually think we're doing it. Let me tell you this and be, I'll be perfectly blunt so that you can get, understand what I'm going to say. You don't mind me being blunt on a Sunday morning, do you? No, I'm not normally blunt. Right? Hardly ever. Right? There is nothing you have that you didn't get given. There is nothing you have. I don't care whether it's your house, your wife, your job, whatever, it came from him. Does that shock some of you? 
No, because some of you know it's the truth. It's actually scriptural insofar as you can, you can read it in his word. But they don't understand that. They don't understand that. They think they did it. When you think you do something, by the way, you are in grave danger of being idolatrous. And idolatry is a dangerous place to go. If you think you are successful, if you are successful, and it's down to you, you are wrong. Why? Because the Amalekites tell me so. Not just the Bible. Move it on, please. David replied, No, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. You own nothing. You're just passing through. Sometimes we behave as though we own everything. You don't. Even children, by the way, forthcoming parents, they're just in your possession for a season while you can actually handle them, look after them, put into them, but ultimately they belong to him. No, my brothers, you must not do with what, that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered us into our, delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. And sometimes, so easily we forget it, and sometimes we think it's all about what we can do. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle, and all shall share alike. He's going to make this a law in the land. David made this a statue and an ordinance for, for Israel from this day to that. What a lesson in the passage about drawing strength from God, using the access that we have, remembering the promises that we have. When David had to draw strength previously, God sent Jonathan to him. And Jonathan reminded David, look David, God said you're going to be king. God said this will happen. And David was strengthened in the Lord. Let me ask you a question. What has God said in your life? What has he actually spoken over your life? If David hadn't obeyed it, by the way, God will find another king. Understand this. We don't hold God. God allows us to be involved in what he is building, what he's creating. But if we don't do it, the wheels never come off in his life. He will still get it right. I, I, I am amazed, absolutely amazed, that God does things in my life. You know, we often start our day praying together. And, and you know what? I don't think God gets bored with the same prayer. What do we, what do we pray? What do we regularly pray? Yeah. I'll fill some blanks in. How often do we thank him for our house? It's not the fact that we haven't worked hard and we don't have a mortgage. It's the fact that God has given us that house. The right house. We thank him for our health. Both of us have illnesses. 
but God sustains us. We thank him for our parents, for our siblings, for our children. We thank him for you lot. Now that's, that is amazing, isn't it? That is, but we do occasionally. <laughs> we maybe ought to do that more often. Okay, note to the blackbirds. When David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. Listen, David's going to take what he's been given by God and he's going to distribute it out. He's not going to keep it. He's going to feed it out amongst all the people and he's building and planning about what will come next. We've got one more chapter in Samuel and it's the chapter where Saul will die. And David will soon be king. And he's using his nouns. He knows, look, I've got to get an army. I've got to get these people to accept me. And one way of doing that is to bless them. You don't throw your brains out the window. I've said this before. Actually, there's nothing wrong with being savvy. David's being savvy. He can't, doesn't need all this plunder. He's just pushing it out and making some decent contacts. I want to end, and before we do communion, let's look at the passage from Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 4 says this. I'll do it very gently. I won't be blunt. Read your Bible. Look, this is why. For the word of God, you won't find it in the ether, you'll find it in the book. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart and my heart. I love that passage. Absolutely love it. You can pick the book up. I love reading the word of God. If you don't, ask him to give you the same love he's given me for it. That'll do for a start. It won't read itself. You've got to read it, apply it. It will speak to you. It will do that to you. I promise you. It will, it will stab you. It, it will wake you up. The enemy will try and put you to sleep, by the way, when you pick it up. But trust me, you do it right, it will speak back to you. But watch what the Word of God actually says. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Well, that's us. You ain't hidden. I'm not hidden. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Well, that should wake you up, particularly if you're an Amalekite. One day we meet God. You know, um, I hope I'm all right to say this. Kay's mum hasn't got long left. And last week she was down expecting her mum to die. Down in Leicester. And she had a conversation with her sister. And her mum's a believer. And I've talked with her mum and, and explained that to close her eyes, one moment, her mum wakes up in the presence of Jesus. Nothing to fear. She's not frightened of anything. She just doesn't want the pain that goes with, with her exit in this world. You can understand that, can't you? You know, none of us want that. Well, Kay's talking to one of her sisters and her sister comes up with a comment along the lines of, well, it would be nice if you thought you were meeting them again. It would be nice, wouldn't it? To think, you, well, we are. 
actually. You know, you still got the grieving and, and all the... Everything that goes with that. Look, Kay's a person. But when you challenge people who think like that, do you know what they say? They'll come up with this. Well, um, that's what I believe and, and you know, whatever. Yeah, well, tough, actually. You're wrong. Look, this is what it says. You're going to stand before God. You, as a person, stand before God. Now, I don't fear that at all. I look forward to that. Do you fear it? It doesn't matter whether your opinion is right or wrong. Actually, the word of God says this. You as a person stand before God. And he's not going to have a bit of a chit-chat with you about the weather or the football scores or anything else like that. He's going to say this to you. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do? Now, I'm going to stand before him and say, look, I messed up loads of times, Lord, but listen, I did it with the best intentions. I got some of it right, surely. A lot of it wrong. But I did it, trying my best. And, and listen, I talk to you most days, if not all day. But look what you can do. And we're going to do communion in a minute. Just move it on. Therefore, in other words, from what he's just said, what the writer has just said, since we have a great high priest... David needed Abitha. He needed an ephod to come before God. You don't. We've got a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Sunday school answer, Jesus. He's gone ahead of us. He's there now. The Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. We, we believe this stuff if you're a believer. Move on. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. Whatever pains and struggles we have in this life, whether we cause them ourselves or whether other people cause them, do you know what? Because he took on flesh, he understands the battles that we're in. He can empathise when life really does throw a curveball and the wheels come off. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And we'll finish on this verse. Let us approach God's throne of grace. What is grace? You do not deserve to go to God's, grace, God's throne. But you can do. How sad, like David, to have an ephod and a priest there and not use it. When was the last time you went to God's throne? It's there. I went, I've been this morning, by the way. It's still there. Go to God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy. What is mercy? Yes, thank you. Some of you are beginning to understand these words. You can go before God, and I'm going to ask you to do it in a few minutes. Kenny's going to lead the church in communion. What a great time just to gather your thoughts. Make some decisions in your heart. Look, listen, why not go before the throne of God now and say to him, do you know what, God... You know I've been living in the wrong part of the, the world. I've mean, been in the Philistines for a while, if that's where you've been. 
But what about going there and saying, do you know what, with your help, no guilt, no condemnation, but what about starting again? If you need to. If you don't, then we'll go to God's throne of grace together as a church. I love going there. We'll go to the throne, receive mercy, find grace to help us in our time of need. I will state this on record for the internet and the seven billion people. Alan Brazier is always in need. Amen.